I'm Ian Inserto, and this is Coffee Talk. Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Berkeley College of Music's Guitar Department. Today, we are joined by special guest Ian Inserto. Ian Inserto is a groundbreaking composer who is emerging as one of the preeminent voices of a generation. Her music has been performed at Carnegie Hall, Jazz at the Lincoln Center Shanghai, Dizzy's Club, the Berkeley Performance Center, Vanderbilt University, Boston Symphony Hall, and many more. Her big band, the Ian Serto Jazz Orchestra, has recorded three albums. The ensemble has garnered many positive reviews, such as Downbeat's Editor Pick, the Boston Globe 2018 Best Jazz Albums, and the Jazz Journalist Association Best of 2018. A fourth album of her music was also recorded by the Colors Jazz Orchestra. She currently resides in Boston, where she's the assistant chair of harmony and jazz composition at Berklee College of Music, and is a jazz composer's present artist. New Yorker guitar mug. Um, thanks, Cheryl. Um, and we're also joined, as usual, by our senior coordinator, Ben Cody. Hey, Ben, good morning. Morning. Okay. And we are kicking off a new season of Coffee Talk, and we are really thrilled to have our special guest, Ein Inserto, who is the acting chair, assistant chair of Jazz Comp and Harmony. Hey, Ein. Hey, Kim. Thanks for having me. I do have a mug. This is the professional writing division mug. So um, I'm not drinking coffee. I'm drinking tea, but, you know, forgive me for that. Tea talk. <laughs> I love it. That was our first question, actually. Um, first of all, I'm really impressed that the professional writing division has a mug. Well, it's actually when we used to do um, convocations, um, they would always come up with some sort of gift for, you know, the faculty and the staff. And for some reason, it, it involves a variety of like drinking wear. I even have here this um, sort of like beer mug kind of situation and we have champagne glasses so this is not available for purchase uh, <laughs> but for some reason this is whole collection of mugs and drinkware and even bags and whatnot so it's since the pandemic we've not had this but i do miss you know i do miss like the um the swag if you will I love that. You know, back in the day, Cheryl, you may remember this from your faculty days, but when performance had a convocation, uh, Matt Marvulio, who was our dean back then, he had a mug made, and on the front it said performance division, and on the back it said go home and practice. Decide <laughs> <laughs> which which side was available, you know, to be seen by the public, you know. <laughs> Maybe we should bring those back. That, that sounds pretty good. Um, so I that was going to be our next question. What you kind of led with is like, it's coffee talk. So are you a coffee drinker or never a coffee drinker? Like, what's your relationship to coffee and tea? So the funny, the sad thing is I can't really drink coffee. I'm one of these people who's caffeine sensitive. So if I have coffee, coffee like at 10 a.m., I'll be up to 4 a.m. Simon situation. The, the main times that I drink coffee is if I'm traveling. So the jet lag situation and also in countries where I like the coffee. So if I'm in Italy and a little bit of an espresso or a cappuccino, not before, not afternoon, they'll get mad at you about that one. And never with pizza. That's the whole nother story. Um, but yeah, I am not, um, I'm not, and the reason I'm drinking tea is just because it's winter and it just helps my throat, but otherwise I'm not even a tea drinker. Mm. You know, so. you share this in common um, with our director of Berkeley College of Music, um, Ron Savage. Mm. He only drinks coffee in Italy and he has a whole monologue about it that you can hear on his episode of Coffee Talk, but that's a good conversation. I think you guys would definitely bond over that for sure. Yeah, I've traveled with Ron to Paris before for um, auditions and stuff like that, but the coffee part didn't come up in that one. Um, other sort of beverages did, though. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, um, Paris so is good, good at some vet beverages over others, I think. <laughs> Most definitely. That's a good point. 
Um, so, and one of the things uh, that people listen to this podcast for is when they're coming to Berkeley for the first time in different capacities, um, they, they're thinking about their first days. And so we started asking everyone to share some moments you remember about a first day you had, and you have had different first days because you've had different positions here. And so it, it doesn't yeah. matter which one, or if there's a few things that stand out to you, um, when you were in different roles. Um, but is there anything that comes to mind right away when you think about your first days at Berkeley? You know, it's one of the most interesting things about, I, I didn't go here, but, um, you know, my first day at Berkeley would be, um, as actually, well, I can actually go way, 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 way back. I did do, um, they used to have like, um, a, the, the week in LA situation during the summer program. And it was like, before it became like the, I think now the focus had become more on songwriting and production, but before I used to be like a compressed five week into one week. And I just remember being so excited about that and just getting down. And I think I was in awe of just all of these other musicians kind of my age and just like we're we're here and learning like the first time I learned like AB voicing so I was like wow just blew my mind coming from like a certain more classical background but loving jazz and stuff so that was a fun first day and then you know my first day teaching here I got hired <laughs> I got hired to Friday before school started so not knowing anything what's going on the culture but I will say that my colleagues and and the chair at the time was um or rather acting chair interim chair the terms are always weird uh Jamal Holland was very kind and um having me get oriented and I think the thing that makes it different from teaching at other schools is they have so many resources for you right off the bat here you're going to teach this class here's everything laid out where you don't get that at other places and then I guess my first day is um assistant chair is oh look at those emails look at all those emails and um yeah just uh but i think the thing i did enjoy we we had to do what you call like the scheduling event so these are entering students who had just come or haven't been placed or whatever in the right place i love meeting new students i love that it's just like they're like excited some of them a little scared i'm like you're just gonna have a blast you know you're gonna have a good time you're gonna you're gonna learn about music i mean how horrible is that not at all so it's always about meeting new students i think it's always a great first day situation if you will yeah you know it's there's a lot in what you said and, and i think one thing that's kind of fun is that three of us in this quartet on this Hang today, um, we're assistant chairs or former assistant chairs. Like that was my role when I first came in and Cheryl is an assistant chair. And it, it is really fun. It is quite a shock when you see the amount of incoming, um, every day and, and whether it's an email or in person, it is quite something. Um, and I think we also share, um, and Cheryl, you can jump in on this too, um, how much we love the first day of meeting everybody who comes in and just kind of getting to be that person um, that says like, yeah, you're kind of in this incredible place now because you're absolutely right. That's what struck me about Berkeley too, was that there's actually resources for everything we say we care about in music. Um, it's as though, you know, that we were allowed as, as the people who um, teach the subjects and, and run the departments to say like, what would be like a dream situation for a student and, and try to get all those things. Go ahead. I, I was just going to jump in and say, I remember my first day with you was um, doing auditions and you were kind of shadowing me a little bit. And then we find out that we had a friend in common, Colin Stack. So it's that's another fun thing I think about music or Berkeley. It's like you're you're just like you're like not, not even six degrees of separation. It's like two, you know. So that's always a joy. I remember that now. We were, it was Boston auditions, and we're, I think you were with John Marasco or Mark White or someone who had been here a long time. And and I went to learn how to do auditions because they were going to send me on the road. So they put me with you all day to learn how to do it. That's how we met. That's right. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, that's great. And Cheryl, you share some of this same thing because you had taught here for a long time and then came in to a chair role as assistant chair. Yeah, and actually, Ayn, I met you doing auditions too. I think we were in Puerto Rico and you were so cool and you were so friendly and we had a blast. And I was like, and and because, you know, I, I taught guitar here and I was kind of siloed in a way because I would commute from New York. So I didn't get to see a lot of people. And I remember I love those trips because I would meet people across the college and you were one of the coolest people I met. I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. I like this. This is fun. <laughs> I remember when we would. Yeah, I don't do this as much as I should, but then finding Cheryl at the gym and just being put to shame. That's the memory. <laughs> well, you busted me now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, well, we need to keep our strength up. Let me just say, we need, <laughs> we need to stay healthy um, as musicians. So, um, so, okay, this brings me to something that I was thinking about as you were just talking about these first days, Ayn, is that you're a pianist, and as you mentioned, you studied classical piano. And now when people know you as a musician, they know you as an arranger, um, primarily of, of large ensemble jazz works in a, in a very masterful way. And I'm wondering if you could talk about and that transition for you, like how what you saw as um, as things that were great in your foundation and then how you kind of took this path to expanding what you did to where you are now musically? Um, you know, I, I think for a lot of us sometimes, especially in music, you don't know where you're going to end up or you, you end up where you don't think that you're going to end up. Like I wanted to be like a pop star singing backup for, you know, some like Madonna or something. And to the fact that I ended up in jazz is a very, very, very different <laughs> journey, if you will. And, um, you know, because I'm, I'm originally from Singapore, and so coming here to the U.S. was the exposure to jazz. My only exposure to jazz before that was like Manhattan Transfer, was how I learned about jazz, which is, you know, it's great and awesome um, way of coming into it. And then so ended up in California. I ended up taking band as like my third elective, and I didn't know what I would do in band as a pianist, but they put me in there, of course, because anyone that marks band. And then I look over at like the bells, like the block and spiel. I'm like, that looks like piano. I can fake my way through that. And that's like really how it happened. And I ended up in percussion and sort of like self-taught jazz, if you will, until uh, I did that time at Berkeley where I got more information than I started to take lessons and primarily an instrumentalist, um, you know, and I, I, I got really good at sight reading. So I do like a lot of theater gigs. I do all sorts of gigs. And while I was in high school and the first couple of years of college and and um, so, yeah, so, but I always wrote stuff. I think all of us always write, like try to compose and that sort of a thing. And then, but past that, it wasn't, you know, I started to write for my high, my college big band um, and then took like one arranging class and then ended up in New England Conservatory um, focusing on jazz composition. And primarily I was studying with Bob Brookmeyer and then that became my thing. And it's weird that I have people in California who know me as a pianist, who know me as somebody who was in drum corps and actually instructed and so known me as a percussionist and then the folks nowadays will be I'm a composer um, you know, mainly of big band but I'm a jazz composer jazz um, so it's, it's just very strange and I do try to play when I can obviously if you know like trying to devote yourself to a craft it's hard to split things up and especially like having like this this job too <laughs> um all our musical opportunities you know sometimes can be few and far in between we definitely cherish those um but the transition i think was just you know i ended up where i used to to practice you know eight hours a day and then it ended up slowly going into writing eight hours a day so i can i roll that back that really stuck out to me you you were interested in arranging in high school. You decided to do an arrangement. And and what's cool is that your teacher was open to that. 
I mean, you obviously, I mean, I can't even imagine thinking about that when I was in high school. Like, oh, what do you, t what was your, inspired you or what was the tune or, and, you, and when you went to your teacher, were they just kind of blown away that you wanted to do that? It's kind of amazing. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, you know, when I was in high school, I was actually, it was weird because we didn't really have somebody, uh, it was like mainly like marching band and like winter percussion. And I was in drum and bugle corps. So we called them the front line ensemble. So the percussions, uh, percussion is like with, with all of the like marimbas and vibes and stuff like that. I ended up doing the arrangements for those initially and then starting to write for percussion ensemble because it's weird, like it, where I was was mainly like if you were a percussionist, you were a, a drummer. And I don't mean that like in a band, but being a pianist um, and just sort of like understanding, you know, a little bit more harmonic background. They let me do it. And then I got hired even while I was in high school to do some of these other ones. And then I tried to do some arrangements for big band didn't quite work out as well. It's more in college that that was better. But I remember I did, <laughs> I did, I did an arrangement of it came upon a midnight clear in like jazzy three, four waltz. And I, you know, of course put in jingle bells and the shout, you know, like everybody else does. But they, I think it's just really great to be around folks who encourage you and allow you to to experiment, you know, and, and trust you to do that. That's that's a really really great thing, and I think that's a great thing about here. It's like, you know, we have such a large variety of student population, and if we give them a chance or the tools, just like whoa, like you didn't know how to do this, like three months ago and now you're mastering it that's that's insane so you know it's it's a beautiful thing here um definitely like anybody with potential like if we give them the chance and they can figure it out why not yeah yeah that's good i you know one of the things i i really love about um jazz composition is that it must be a balance for you as an arranger composer you have your own sense of you know what you want to hear what your sense of the piece is you know as an artist as the person writing it and then there are these considerations you have for the different instruments like how you write for each one how they blend um what the timbres are what the part should be and then you also are choosing your players like you have an orchestra really of players that often plays your music and they're players that you know and then there's some room for them to spontaneously compose sometimes i would imagine you know in the arrangement to improvise um how do you think about arranging from that standpoint when you're balancing all of those elements like how do you think of it as a as an artist um it's obviously not easy <laughs> yeah <laughs> you use 17 people and you're like i remember once just talking to somebody who's not a musician and like i was like they're like oh you have a band i'm like yeah i have a band and then they're like how many people pull in the band i'm like 17 they're like oh that's a big band i'm like it's a big band but um no definitely my style is um especially after studying with Brooke Meyer, it's very melody focused um, as a pianist. And I think most composers initially, because none of us really come from a background where we started composing. Most of us started on an instrument. And with that instrument, we most of us have instruction. But composition, a lot of us are like, oh, I, I hear this this way, I'm just going to try it this way. But there can be a formality to it and a process to it. And so um, mine is sort of melody base initially and anything that I write I want to think that I can reduce it down to a lead sheet um, and then everything on top of that is sort of like textures or transitions um, ways in linking one idea to the next motivic development is very important to me um, and uh, to me sometimes they're just two melodies the one on top and the one on bottom who cares what goes on in the middle um, so, uh, you know, initially as the pianist, I didn't think that way. I initially, I'm like thinking, okay, these cool chords will go with this cool melody. And here's like this really awesome, like ostinato and whatever. The groove is more important than, but that's not my thinking. Um, so the process initially is, uh, melody and based and, and then 
after that the textures come in um but i will say just because of how i'm able to hear things and i'm saying i'm sure the same thing is for the two for you on guitar like you can hear something um, already in your head because you're so familiar with the instrument and even the feel of it and so the same thing is like if i'm imagining um, putting something within like certain context because I can already hear the, the sound or timbres of those instruments in my head it's because I'm very familiar with them I know where I'm going to put it um, so it's just it's I'm just old I've just done this many times that's really all it is it's a lot of experience <laughs> um, which makes me marvel at my um, students who do like go from like zero to like you know 80 in like two years it's like wow you know it's it's super cool but hopefully i'm helping them with the tools and that's part of it where i will admit that at their age i didn't have those that guidance you know um i didn't really have it till later and so but i gotta experiment i guess i don't know i'm not even sure i answered your question <laughs> no you i'm going back to a couple things like do you feel that um there's something about your sound as a composer that's distinctive to you that might have been like a kind of developed as unique to you or maybe a departure from some of the people you studied with yeah i mean the scary part is like i've gotten to the point i'm like is it okay that I copy myself or I sound like myself? Because you're thinking like, I'm trying to create something new. I'm like, I created a lot of new. Like, can I just create me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that sounds like me, I'm like crap. <laughs> uh, and so I, I do want to try to keep it fresh. I will say that and sometimes try to, to part, but I'm like, sometimes, man, I'm like, yeah, this is my sound. Can I just keep my sound? <laughs> yeah, I think you can. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And then how much does it, um, is it influenced piece to piece when you know who, if you know kind of who you're writing for, like, you know, that you're going to have a certain musician in the ensemble. Does that influence you in a certain way? Yeah. Um, I've been writing sometimes for like, um, guest artists, if you will, <coughs> pardon me. And, um, and so, uh, like, I, I have a project right now that's coming up where I'm writing for Sean Jones, and I haven't, and it's interesting because lately he's been a lot of, like, either a featured artist or a sideman, um, you know, obviously, like, a big, grand sideman, if you will, but I was, I was thinking about it, and it was, like, him playing other people's music, but because I'm going to do something that really, really is honing in on it like the last couple of weeks i've just been listening to his albums i'm trying to like absorb his essence if you will and then try to create something for him that's a real big vehicle and then still have the ionisms in there but like uh, we have an upcoming show at actually at the regatta bar um with the jazz composers workshop orchestra will open for my band so it's like two um two big bands if you will one night of two big bands the whole place is going to explode um it's going to explode more because george garzon is playing with both of the bands and so with george i've written a lot of stuff for him and so i have to write i've written some really specific things <laughs> that are very conducive to his style um, of playing and of music that i wouldn't write that for like um john fedjog the trombonist you know he would be something i write totally something different uh and i i enjoy trying to like see what i can do for different folks you know it's like it's it's my music but it's their music as well and so i want to let them shine but also let you know just also acknowledge where they're coming from and hopefully respect their sound and their playing it's a it's a challenge for sure but it's a fun thing to do I, I love that that's your approach. And um, I think there are a couple names. If you're listening, if you haven't heard Sean Jones or George Garzone, you can add that to your list of people you'll look up to listen to. And then maybe if you're in Boston, go to the Regatta Bar. And then now you've done your homework and you can hear the way that that sound translates into this new music. Um, it reminds me Hein, of this. Um, I studied with this cellist, um, Aldo Pariso at Yale, and um, he... Uh, uh, Villa Lobos wrote for him, and um, he had this great comment 
along the lines of yours. So Villalobos had that same attitude that you had, where they he really wanted to write for a person who played an instrument, not write for an instrument and then have someone else play it, right? And um, But he got fed up in his older years, apparently, that players could not accurately describe their own sound. <laughs> And so Mr. Pariso told me that Villalobos got to the point where he would make you live with him and practice in his apartment in New York. So you had to move in. And then he would listen to you when you didn't know that he was listening to you. Because at that time, that was many decades ago, right? And so you couldn't do what you're doing, which is gathering all these different records, right? And so, and then he would write for you. And then uh, Mr. Pearsons was like, it was the greatest thing for me because I really understood my own sound in a different way through that collaboration. So I love that you um, are committed to that, like working with the person in real time, but then also taking some time and listening to their recordings. And I'm wondering if, if you've ever noticed that, if there are things that you've brought up to people that kind of delighted them or surprised them that you found in their sound. I yeah, I mean, I I have a piece on my last album called 3 and Me and it this was very challenging and it was having the three guest artists on the same track who don't play together normally. You know? So it was it was John Fedchock and trombone, Sean Jones and trumpet and George Garzone on um, tenor and um, and so I had to derive three different types of solo sections and yet fit within the piece. Uh, and so I, I felt really happy about it because they all seemed to gravitate towards their solo sections, um, you know, and, and also gravitate towards playing the whole thing together. Uh, and, and, it, and it came out, I think, really, really, really nice. It's, it's one of the things um, that I get to share with my students and talking about, like, you can't just run through the changes um, for everybody at this, you know, you gotta, you gotta set these people up to succeed, but yet still be a part of your composition. You know, it's not like here to slashes go. It's like, what does it have to do with, this is a Brookmeyer thing. It's like, is it time to bring in the soloist and how is the soloist contributing to your piece? And what are you allowing, letting the soloists know um, that this is how they can be a part of it? You know, he he did not want you to just, it's not a chat, as we say around here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I feel very lucky. I've not had, I don't think I've really had negative feedback in terms of how I portray an artist, if you will. So I feel pretty lucky in that. Um, I will say, though, that the other challenge, <coughs> and something I'm a little bit more mindful now, is equity and um like uh in like middle school high school um, situations and so um, my, my my first medium big band commission was a real fun thing uh, i named it after notorious rbg and ruth bader ginsburg and and the thing is the fact that i had to write for these middle you know this medium level of grade and get i didn't want it to be like an f blues you know and just like into some riff you know i wanted them to to have something new and and so to put something that is new and yet accessible and then now coming to another point of realization that not all schools have instrumentation that allows them to play this music and so um i've started to sort of i've got a big project coming up but that's in the hopefully this fall and in trying to write one piece for medium then an advanced version of that then a lead sheet version of that and then a three horn version of that um, and then making sure that they have parts for everything bassoon french horn flute because they're not normally in jazz but why can't they play jazz if they want to you know so um, that's a whole different thing from personalizing it's more it's like jazz for everybody <laughs> I love you this. yeah so it kind of maybe leads me into the next question which is you've chosen to serve berkeley as a chair assistant chair and and this semester acting chair while george russell's on sabbatical um and so in some ways 
it, it's a different expression of your creative energy and it's definitely a lot of your time. And, and I'm just wondering if you could share a couple things, like, was it this idea in part of like helping more people have access to this music and, and the way they learn it? Is that what attracted you to this kind of position? Yeah, I mean, I the history of harmony and jazz composition was that uh, jazz composition merged into harmony um, in 2018. And with this merge, of course, you know, after a year, we're like getting back on our feet, 2019, and then oops, there was a pandemic. So there was never really sort of the <clears throat> the ground level, if you will, um, of, of the jazz composition major and how it exists within the harmony department and trying to get that going. And I have, I had taught a lot of the courses of the core, not just in jazz comp, but also in the harmony core. Um, and so um, I, I wanted to sort of help out, not help out, but I, I help out a lot. <laughs> it's a pretty maternal instance. But I wanted to sort of like have us be, keep our legacy and also have us progress. And also having us being relevant in jazz and jazz composition. Um, again, so that's part of it. I love helping people. Um, whether, you know, my, my, my joke is like, I will like open a door like to a meeting or something. I'm like, I'm the assistant chair. I'm here to assist, you know, <laughs> like literally. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's definitely that. There's also, there's a different scope as a faculty member. And I know, um, Cheryl, you can relate to this. Like you, your scope as a faculty member is teaching. And this is awesome. You're ground zero. You're, help, this, you're with our students. That's absolutely it. But as you, you all know, as a chair, we see things in a much larger capacity. And even just the fact that even in, but we still also are so siloed. I mean, you know, I felt very lucky last summer to be able to come over to your office and notice your couch, you know, but we had to have a conversation um, with you about, you know, we just about certain items, but the fact of the matter that we only see each other, maybe if we do once a month and then we're back to our little, you know, our little holes, if you will, and then we come back out. But I feel also like I've already reached over to the performance division over the ensembles and with regards to a course that we have that we should have two course codes for. Like that's something as a faculty member I couldn't see. And this is something that's only going to help all our students. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think that hopefully now that we're more post pandemic, we can walk around more again and, you know, kind of uh, lead by walking around and make that more of our day. Um, it's kind of, you know, we're all getting back into the world in a different way. So that's a good reminder of all that stuff. Um, hey, Cheryl, what's on your mind at this point in the hang? Wow. I mean, so many things. Um you know, I was just thinking about you writing for uh, in your in your thoughts and and what you learned from uh, Brookmeyer about writing for others, and and then also thinking about you know the excitement of coming to Berkeley, which was an earlier conversation. And I, for myself, I I have always been obsessed with harmony. Um, my, I come from a family of uh, or church organists and piano players and stuff, so. And uh, and as a guitarist, I'm always saying to my students, this is our secret weapon. And the more that you know about it, it's so powerful. And so many guitars don't really know. So we're here helping them. But to me, that was the most exciting thing about coming to Berkeley because I knew there were pa I would just come. I hear these patterns and I know there's a, you know, you know, and when I learned about and, and to me, I. I really believe in my deep in my bones that Berkeley teaches harmony the best of any place ever, you know, harmonic analysis. And, uh, you know, I can meet any Berkeley alum from any era and just sit down and start talking about contiguous two fives. And I'm happy. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my that's my thing. And um, so now. We have students, obviously, from all backgrounds that aren't necessarily jazz students, and they get really intimidated by a lot of this stuff. And maybe a lot of the music they listen to isn't that harmonically rich or diverse. But, you know, my but so I want to I want to bring this forward to your mastery as a composer and a writer, you know, 
my approach to these students is you're, you know, and I know many of my students will not become jazz players, but what you learn about song form and harmony, like, you know, if you can analyze all the Cole Porter tunes and, you know, drum, like just those standards and then, you know, any of the jazz related bebop stuff, your understanding, your understanding of harmony and it's get get so deep that that will inform all your decisions moving forward. It'll develop your ears. It'll develop your mind. So, you know, if you, when you get to, if you're a writer, at least for me, I'm like, I have that eight bars. That's just magic. And I'm like, Oh, now what do I do? I could, I have so many, so much technique and understanding of like, well, I could modulate up a major third and work my way down. You know, if I just need to write something. And so I learned that through harmonic analysis you know, definitely at Berkeley. I loved it. So, but you know, you can only write on the level where you are and in terms of understanding that stuff. And that's, I guess the thing is to try to impress on students is that, you know, you might not think, and I think you said something about this earlier, you might not think this is important to you. And again, I'm not expecting everybody's going to be the next Keith Jarrett or even whatever. They're going to be, be do their thing that might not be related to jazz or whatever. But to understand harmony in that way is going to inform everything. It, it builds your instinct so that when you're writing, you, you, you have developed this big, it's like the big ocean. You got this big ocean that you can pull stuff out of. And, you know, for, for those times when the inspiration isn't there, but, you know, so I don't know, I just, your thoughts on that, but I, you know, when you're talking about the way you're writing and, and considering different soloists and how you're going to approach it, that comes from such a deep understanding of how all that stuff comes together. I'm, I mean, yeah, you know, I, so I was talking mainly on the jazz composers and, you know, and if I'm going to be, if we were talking about Berkeley, then obviously those in the major, but one of the things I think that is really awesome about here is we do have harm, you know, they have to take up to harmony four and you're talking about contiguous two fives that just, that just made me laugh so hard. Um, but you know, the thing that was, that is great, um, in particularly our faculty knowing the diverse group of students that we have to service um, and even though that this this harmony came from a jazz tradition it's still relevant today in non-jazz world and you can be cool you know uh, <laughs> if you decide to use this stuff i actually was i did sub out a class um, for an emergency last week um, and it was an entering harmony too and I used a Billie Eilish tune, and it had, you know, it was it had major seven chords. It had the secondary dominance. It had modal interchange or bar chords. It had like a four minor in it. I think that's that's exactly what we teach here, you know. And this and this is this isn't like you know, this isn't the 1935 or whatever. It's 2024, and this is something very, 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 you know, like current you know and so this stuff does exist um and you can use it as a tool now maybe initially it's difficult to understand but on the other hand you've only been working on this for two years you can take the stuff later on and be like i get it oh that's what it is you know like all of a sudden you're like listening to like this bruno mars and you're like wait a second there's like you know he's using like four minor there that comes from the the parallel minor key and you're like boom it like suddenly that that little light goes off and again the faculty here are doing such a great job we have a we have this a massive like google drive situation where people keep putting tunes up there um we're also trying to make sure that we also diversify. We're looking like women composers, non-binary bands, like all sorts of genres, everything, not even non-Western uh, music, because we really, really want to to be current, progressive, and yet sh in some way show like, hey, m music is universal, you know. And I, I will say this, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but Laufey, um, I'm not sure, it's L-A-U-F-E-Y, and but she was in my class, and she's very hip now, but she was in my Harmony 4 class, and I'm like, I taught her a little bit, but she knew a lot anyways, it doesn't matter, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> I can say, yeah, she did page 72 very well in the supplement. I have a, a copy of it. <laughs> yes, she did. She just did a Tiny Desk concert. And so everyone should look that up. It's really fantastic. And one of the students came in with it the other day. So that's great. That's really cool that, the, that she came up. But that's right, right? Like, I think this is the thing. Like, we're. I said this one time in an interview, and now I keep saying it. Like, you, you have to go deep to be free. And this idea that like, oh, I'm not going to study the tradition because it's not modern. Well, if you really study the tradition and you study your craft on the instrument or as a composer or arranger or all of the above, then you have so many interesting things to draw on that make your modern music sound surprising and they balance it balances that expectation and surprise and and you never know what comes out of it. Um, because I think one thing that happens, and I don't know how you feel about this, I'm, our students, a lot of them are working professionally or they've started young, like as we did. And there's this misconception that if that's true, then this is not a beginning. This is like a finishing school as opposed to the beginning of your deeper education that you will carry into the rest of your life. Like, I think it surprises some of our students to know that, you know, Cheryl and I are still taking lessons from duo partners and learning new things. And so are you. You know, that idea that, yes, you're going to learn all of this stuff and it might feel like this huge information wave and then five years from now, long after you're out of here, you'll go, oh, that. And then you go back to it and you're going to learn again in a different context. Like, how do you help people kind of kind of grasp the and understand and value that that it's it's a real wonderful thing to be a student? And then you're going to be a student throughout your professional career. You know, I think the mirror of it for me, it's looking at like um, where we go, MAT, which is kind of the Harmony 1 and writing skills combined, and then all the way through Harmony 4. And the funny thing is when you start off, everything's very concrete. You, there's no denying how the key signatures should be spelled. There's no denying that these are, you know, how to, uh, like an A minor 7 chord is, is spelled, what notes go into it. Then you get into like secondary dominance, like, okay, just a little chromaticism. And then you get into like harmony three, where all of a sudden there's this like modal stuff happening and chord scales, whatever, and and it's getting way more chromatic. And then all of a sudden in harmony four, like it gets destroyed. And the problem that happens, especially when they get up, um, in other areas, you have options. What decisions can you make? Like, do I want to use this scale? But this scale works too. I could use this chord. I could use like four other chords. You know. And so the tricky part about it is that the more you learn, it's almost the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> and I think that's why we keep studying. <coughs> and every and I don't know any profession that does not that, that does not happen to where you always are constantly having to learn or relearn. If you don't, then you're just gonna get left behind, to be perfectly honest. If you don't have that open mind. And if you don't have, um, you know, that that little bit sense of humbleness that everything else is a lot bigger than you, and that you know, and there's going to be somebody that always knows more than you, or something that that we all never knew, you know. I always like like going on the internet and like suddenly like they show like the Hubble telescope, like you know, or the newer telescopes, and they're like, this is a whole new universe. I'm like, what, you know, or like or even things within our body you know like you're like wow i didn't know like that tiny little atom does that or whatever protein or into the depths of our you know into the depths of the sea and the ocean so there's so much unknown out there and again the more that you're hungry for that and wanting to have more knowledge the more that you realize you're like wow i don't know and so the constant, I think, and that's just how it's going to be, if if that's what you want. Um, you know, I mean, I guess ignorance is bliss, but then again, with ignorance, you will not go anywhere. So. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting because sometimes people feel like I'm just going to hang on and only do what I feel comfortable with and that strength. But actually, the true strength is being comfortable outside of your comfort zone. And that's what gives you real strength in this business, I think, for sure. Um, 
Uh, ben, this is the perfect time for you. And I, so Ben has a question he asks every Coffee Talk guest. And also in this particular case, Ben, you might want to run with your time because you've had a really um, recent, more recent and um, interesting relationship with the core at Berkeley um, that's fed into your professional career sense. So uh, you take it wherever you want to take it. Yeah, I think well, just to, to kind of comment on the last conversation, it's kind of like that saying, you know, when you're green, you grow, when you're ripe, you rot, you know, so you just want to make sure to keep, you know, there's, there's always, always, you know, keep yourself green, you know, keep yourself, you know, trying to, to always grow. Um, but yeah, the, the question that we ask all of our guests um, would be, uh, what is the question that you think students should be asking right now that they're, they're not thinking about asking? Not at all on the spot. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's funny that you're asking that because I, I literally am not looking at my emails and lots of questions that they shouldn't be asking right now. But, um, <laughs> I'm like, if you go to this website, you'll find the answer. But um, um, I don't know. I think if I'm thinking about, you know, this is a new semester and a lot of the students are right now um, in a place where maybe they're with a, f a faculty member they're not familiar with or a course they've never taken in a completely different way. And a lot of them are, are like, immediate reaction, I think, are like, I, I can't do this or this isn't the place for me. And so I think they, instead of that, right, try to take a deep breath and, and sit down and just be, remain be calm for a minute and say, what resources do I have to to help me through this? Um, if you know, if it's a teacher that suddenly was just not what I was expecting, have you actually communicated with them first? You know, and because I can tell you, our faculty is amazing, and and while maybe in front of fifteen people they give a certain impression, but if you go up to them and say. Hi, I, you know, this is something that's not very familiar for me, and this is what I normally do. Can you, is there, are there resources, or can we have a conversation in which I can understand you? Because I think a lot of times, our, everybody, we are very reactionary. <laughs> but if you take a minute and, and just like, okay, I'm not going to react. I'm going to just sit down and I'm going to be like, okay, how can I sort through this? How can I problem solve this? What are possible solutions versus like, this sucks. And I think that's the question that most people don't ask. Everyone just kind of reacts. You know, so I think especially at this time um, of year where we're just starting and you know, ad drop is going on and you're like, you know, I'm not going to pass this class. I'm like, no, 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 hold on there. You got to this level for a certain reason. Just because it's fresh and new, it doesn't mean that it's undoable, you know. So sit down for a minute, take a second. What are your resources? How can I make it through this? And, and where can I find support? You know, we have started on going through this very mindset with the incoming students. Cheryl and I started about a year ago of trying to ask people to adopt more of a leadership mindset regardless of their role so that you can see this kind of thing, just like you're saying, like take a little leadership and ownership of your education. So when you walk in a classroom and you feel uncomfortable, instead of making it an adversarial situation, say like, okay, this class is required for my degree because people who have gone before me think it's important. And if it's unfamiliar, do you have the courage and the confidence to, to do exactly what you suggested, to go up to the teacher and say, some things you covered were unfamiliar to me. Could you please help me? And of course, they're going to say yes. It's very different than sitting in the back of the room or not showing up for a month and then saying this class sucks and I hate it. And you know what I mean? It's your fault that I didn't understand it. Then that's a very different conversation. And when you're calm before the semester begins, it's easy to see the difference between those two types of conversations. In the moment, you're right, when you're reacting, it really feels like option B might actually be a, a road you could go down. And we all know 
in the professional world, that's not a road you could go down. And, and even a young professional would say, yeah, of course not. I would never um, approach a band leader like that. And then to look at, well, okay, and being in the classroom is actually part of your professional development. And look yeah. at it that way, you know. Yeah. Um, ben, um, you are, you've been a model for a lot of students who come into our office um, because when you came to Berkeley, you were a very strong player and you had been working and um, you had to really dig deep in, in some of the ways that Ian is describing with the core. Um, and now you're in a position where I think you've seen how that's paid off in your playing and and your career with your band, but then also now you're, you're talking with students who are coming in the office who are younger. Can you talk about that for a minute? Sure. Yeah. I, I um, you know, I, I came from Central Massachusetts, where you know the high school I went to had no music program or anything like that. And I, I took I took guitar lessons. I had an awesome teacher, um, but I didn't really have uh, you know a lot of the um, kind of the, the core music foundation that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, every musician should know. Um, a lot of it was, was kind of, you know, my own, just not, uh, really putting the time in that I should have, you know, in high school trying to kind of search out things. Cause you know, I was, I was gigging since I was like 15. Um, but when I came to Berkeley, it was kind of, you know, I, I, I call it, you know, my Berkeley moment. Cause I feel like everyone, you know, you know, every student kind of goes, has, has that Berkeley moment where you kind of realize, all right, you know, now, now, now's the time I got to step up, you know, it's really where, where it gets challenging. And for me, it was really, um, specifically what was, you know, uh, with reading music, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't liter. I understood theory, um, you know, to, to an extent before coming here, but I just wasn't, didn't have the literacy part of it. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the the moment where I was like, all right, you can either just kind of get discouraged and, and give up. It's like, but the question that I, I would always ask myself is like, all right, like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? But, but in, in a good way, like, you know, this is something I want to do. Um, so it started in my first semester here um, with my uh, level one ear training where I, I just got, I think partially I just got so in my own head, like, I don't know how to do any of this. Um, and I was seeing the teacher every, every week for office hours. And I just, I, I'd never heard of solfege before other than, you know, sound of music movie. Um, so it was, it was just, I was just getting really overwhelmed from multiple fronts. Um, so finally the teacher and, and I both agreed that it would probably be in my best interest to withdraw from the class as far as, you know, GPA goes and all that. But I opted to still audit the class every week, even though after I, I withdrew, I still showed up every week and just to try to, you know, take in as much information as I could. Um, and then, uh, you know, from there, you know, I got put into, which I, I'm assuming Berkeley still has this program. I'm not sure, but the second semester success program. So anyone that either fails or withdraws from any of the level one core music gets put in this second semester success program. Um, and uh, from there, that's kind of where I really just wanted to prove it to myself, but prove it to everyone else. Like, all right, like I, I, I can do this and, and I don't care if I have to work, you know, three times as hard as the student next to me to get the same result. Like, I'll just do what I have to do. Um, and you know, I was going to tutoring you know, I, I was going to every office hour I could. And then, you know, by the time I was done with my core music, which was, you know, my fourth and fifth semesters, um, I it actually became a core music tutor myself, you know, helping out other students, just trying to, um, you know, trying to kind of pass it along a bit. And then uh, Julia, the coordinator at this time, then stole me from the core music uh, <laughs> tutoring, and I started working as as a guitar uh, uh, work study. But um, yeah, and and I learned, you know, pretty fast too, and in, in you know, with my band and in my my career as a player, that everything that you learn, it's not going to take anything away. It's only going to make you better. And, and especially when it comes to theory, and I find with, you know, a lot of the students that, that I, I teach, you know, outside of Berkeley, um, and, and being a rock guitar player, you know, I, I see it, you know, in a lot of my students that kind of have this misconception of, well, I don't want to learn theory because it's rules. And, you know, I'm, I'm an artist and I don't want to learn rules. And I try to explain to them, theory isn't rules of what you should be doing. It's an explanation of why music works. And the more you know, the more you can manipulate that to, to be able to, to be a better artist and be 
you know, it's like it's like being a painter and only painting with two colors. Would you rather have two colors to paint with? Or would you rather have twenty colors to paint with? And everything just makes you better. You're not gonna take anything away from yourself as an artist. Yeah. I, and I saw your eyes when when uh, when Ben made a few of those comments. So I wonder if you have any uh, final thoughts of advice this hour to share with students who might have that kind of um, sense or fear of theory and harmony. I I love your story, Ben. I mean, that's a you know a testament to I think you as and and actually the fact that you withdrew, that you had to withdraw, and because it was just too much. Yet here you are, you know, a success, Berkeley graduate, and and you managed to to get the information. Uh, to become the musician that you are today and and also an educator i mean that's fantastic um and and i think that is this we're very unique in that sense we have uh it's slightly different than the second semester success but we do have like music fundamentals and things like that in both ear training and and in harmony and that you can come here uh, as a musician without any <clears throat> traditional knowledge, if you will, in training, and we will we will make sure you will succeed. You know, we'll give you as many of the tools. And I, I think one of my favorite stories is that um, I currently have a faculty member who came to Berkeley without and had gone to like different colleges or whatever it is and had wasn't given the chance um and now is teaching here in my department and you know he took the harmony classes with me and um and he said that he just soaked up as much as possible and he was just glad to have the opportunity he's opened a music school with his wife and he's teaching at berkeley for in somebody who didn't have that experience again it's like we're not here for just one type of student we have such a huge diverse population in all sorts of ways and that includes our diversity in terms of genre our diversity in terms of um, non-western music and we will we will help you as much as possible to succeed because we believe in your potential and don't be afraid like just because you don't know something doesn't mean you can't learn it you know we will, we will, we will figure out a way to get your learn on, if you will, and um, and so and that's what we're here for, um, to give you a chance. So don't don't be afraid if you don't know something. It doesn't mean you can't learn it. You know, and I'll also say the last thing I will say is that it, it doesn't have to be somebody just coming out of high school. I mean, we've had people with second careers coming here. You know, they're like, you know what? I want to try this music thing. And, um, you know, and they've already been in their 30s, 40s, whatever it is. And uh, and it's a it's a beautiful thing. You know, I'm just I'm just always feeling I feel so lucky to be in this environment of such diversity in so many different ways. You know, that's so true. And it's a great point to make, Ayn, because also this is our first coffee talk of the 2024 season. There's a lot of entry points for you. And we really respect them all equally. We have the on the ground Berkeley College entry point. We have the online entry point. There's programs and master classes and summer programs and all kinds of campuses all over the world with global programs. Um, so find a great entry point. And also because of stories like Ben's, um, that was part of the reason why we created our book, which is a real representation and guide to our curriculum as guitarists here at Berkeley. It's called Berkeley Guitar Theory. You can get it through Hal Leonard. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at the bookstore here. Um, and so you can do a lot of pre-work if you want to. We'll accept you and work with you, as Ina's saying, wherever, however you come in. But you, there's also a lot more resources now because of the way people have come in and joined us, where we've put our heads together and said, hey, what would be nice for people if they want to get to know what some of the curriculum is like? And there's a lot of um, accessible books and things you can get in digital copies or in hard copies. So um, give those a, a try and um, and also follow us on social media and we'll direct you to a lot of those resources. Um, so those are great points to make and welcoming everybody again into the big 
Berkeley guitar department and the big Berkeley. Um, uh, Cheryl, this has been such an awesome hour. And I'm wondering um, if there's something on your mind as we're kind of wrapping up our pot of coffee and tea with Ayn. Yeah, well, once again, great episode. And you're going to make my job hard to edit to find the little teaser in the conversation. Thanks. But what I really want to do, because I know you're a big foodie, is now we have to have food talk and have you back. And you're going to hip us to like every excellent restaurant and excellent recipe. And that's really the conversation, actually, I really want to have. <laughs> I, I will confess to you that one of sometimes when I teach and, you know, we're past midterms and people are just like, oh, my gosh. And so literally with the students, I remember showing them my Italian friend sent me this video on how to make gnocchi and everyone's like, no, oh, my gosh, you know, and so really funny. And but the other thing, too, that I have done was like, why are you buying that pre-processed pasta sauce so one time i remember and there you know it's cheaper if you buy you can make a batch you can freeze part of it and they're done for the week so i gave them a very simple marinara recipe you know and like save save your money so so i'm here to assist in many different ways um but absolutely with the food thing i would definitely welcome that i'll um i'll bring some samples uh, <laughs> yeah i i love this because when all of you go and do your homework and look up all these names. When you follow Ayn, you not only get great music, but she does often share the food. I'm just throwing that out there, everybody. It's like you could learn a lot about harmony and arranging and jazz and pasta and all kinds of amazing food. Um, so that's a plug for doing your homework. Um, ben, what about you? Last thoughts on your mind? I, I think this was a great, great conversation on, on so many different levels for for incoming students, for students, returning students of just just kind of the, the mindset of, you know, just do what you need to do to get get the job done, you know, and, and being able to to take the, the leadership role, you know, to be able to find any resources you need to to use to be able to be successful as a student here. Well, thank you so much, Ayn. We really loved having you um, as our guest today. And finally, we get to have a cup of coffee with you with everything going on. So this was great. Um, so thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Cheryl Bailey. Thank you, Ben Cody. And um, we're going to keep hanging out and finish this mug of coffee together, the four of us. Um, but we'll be with all of the rest of you again on the next Coffee Talk. Have a great week, everyone.